Welcome to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you like it, consider joining us at 140 Bowden Street in Boston for more, or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org. Good morning. Uh, this is the reading from Exodus, chapter 34, verses 29 to 35. Moses came down from Mount Sinai. As he came down from the mountain with the two tablets of the covenant in his hand, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face was shining, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him, and Moses spoke with them. Afterward, all the Israelites came near, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with them, with him on Mount Sinai. When Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would take the veil off until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, the Israelites would see the face of Moses that the skin of his face was shining. And Moses would put the the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. This is the word of the Lord. The reading today is from Luke, back back, above nine, verses 28, 28 to 36. Now about eight days after these saying, Jesus took with him Peter and James and James, John, and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him, just as they were leaving him. Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. Not knowing what he said while he was saying, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice was spoken, Jesus was found alone. And they kept silent, and in those days told no one any of these things they had seen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Morning. Swedenborg, True Christianity 84. The word as well makes it clean that having a human manifest makes it clear that having a human manifestation gave God the omnipotence to do this divine work. God is in the inmost and purest realms. There was no other way he could cross over to the lowest levels 
where the hells exist and where people were at that time, just as a soul cannot do anything without a body. By analogy, there is no way to overpower enemies who are not in sight and whom we cannot get close to with weapons such as spears, shields, or guns. To redeem people without a human manifestation would have been as impossible for God as, we would, as it would be for someone outside India to take control of people in India without sending in troops on ships. It would be as impossible as growing trees on heat and light alone if he had not been created as a medium through which they travel and earth had not been created in which the trees could grow. In fact, it would be as impossible as catching fish by throwing a net in the air and not in the water. I'm assuming most people, if you haven't actually seen the movie, you have at least seen it on TV Guide, the fact that there is a movie called The Ten Commandments, right? And I don't know if the person who did the little Lego picture on the front of the bulletin had seen the movie or not, but it's, it's a cute remake of it. And so one of the things that gets me is that we don't oftentimes get a movie about the people at the bottom of the hill, right? We always get the movie about Moses at the top of the hill. We get the story from his perspective. How often do we think about what the people down at the bottom of the hill were experiencing? They had left their home, all of their possessions, started wandering, following this guy who has left them for 30 days, no idea if he's alive or dead, and in fact, they are directed not to send up a search party. And they start to get nervous. And they start worshiping other gods. And he comes down the hill, gets very upset, breaks everything that he has. Then he goes back up the hill. That's where we pick up our story today. In order to make it so the people don't forget that Moses is up there talking to God. Do you know what they do? Lightning and storms. They put fear into the people down below. It's kind of scary. Then Moses comes down the hill and they are greeted with a person whose face is radiant and glowing. It's kind of scary. Who are the people? Who are the people that are scared of this glowing face? The reason why I ask this question is when I, when I read scripture, I always ask myself this question. You see, it's really easy to read the Bible and say, I'm the good guy. I'm, I'm hanging with Moses. I'm the good guy. I'm sitting right, right next to Jesus. I'm the one that's doing things right. So whenever I read the Bible, whenever I read scripture, I try consciously to not ask myself the question, who are those people who aren't doing God's will? I ask myself the deliberate question of what does it mean for me if I am not the good guy in the story? What does it mean if we are not the good guy in the story. What does it mean 
if we see a glowing face and it scares us because we don't want to live into the world that God wants us to live into. It's a different take on what it means to look at and read scripture because honestly the gospels were written to the believers. They were written to make you feel good about being on the good side. The problem is sometimes that might actually help us become distracted about the things that we are doing that aren't necessarily good. So in this situation, the people of Israel are the good guys to some degree. I mean, we, we like being chosen people, right? What stood out to me was this fear of the glowing face. Today is Transfiguration Sunday. For those who don't know, this Sunday happens every year where we read the Bible verse. We read the Bible verse right before a certain something happens. Anyone know? Right before Lent. Every year, right before Lent, we read the story about God trying to reach people to give them lessons and truth. And this is supposed to inspire us and introduce us into Lent. Lent, a time where we are supposed to... I'm not saying everybody does the the act of restricting their diet or the act of giving up something or I mean Lent has a long history about us giving up something in order to help us understand the beauty and glory of God now that doesn't make much sense and it, this is a thing that I, I, I say it every year so if you've heard it before forgive me but I'm guessing someone forgive, forgets it when you count up the Sundays of Lent from the beginning of Ash Wednesday till Easter, you will notice that those Sundays, when you subtract them from that time period, actually make 40 days. You see, these Sundays do not count in Lent. Most people do not realize that. When you give up something for Lent, you are supposed to not give up those things on Sunday. This is good if you are giving up sweets and meat and all sorts of yummy dietary things because it means on Sunday you can have a feast. It means for six days you struggle with trying to keep your fast, with trying to stop yourself from enjoying it. But on Sunday, on Sunday you get to party. That's the idea of it. Sunday reminds us of the joyous celebration. Right? This is good except when you give up bad things, like when somebody gives up unhealthy things for Lent. It does, I would not recommend spending your Sunday doing all the unhealthy stuff. There are different Lenten practices. What this is preparing us for, and this is going to sound, what we do matters. We forget this sometimes because there's a heavy emphasis, I think, in Christian tradition that faith is what's important. If I believe the right things, then I'm going to be rewarded. Transfiguration Sunday tells us to some degree what we do matters. Now, one might ask, what do you mean it says that? 
Well, you have lots of action words here on Transfiguration Sunday. You have Moses who puts a veil on and off depending on who he's talking to. Most of us, when we see pictures of Moses, never see him with a veil, right? That kind of is written out of the story. (laughs) But the high priest, Moses, when he talks to God, will lift up the veil And then he goes and he talks to people, and so they're not scared. They put the veil down. Anyone think they do this? The trick you do. We all do it. Okay, so every, I'm guessing at least one person out there knows that they are right. Maybe it's just me. I know I'm right. But I need to talk to other people. And I talk to other people, even though I know I'm right. Do you know what I do? I soften what I think. Does that make sense? I don't say, this is right, and if you don't do what I want you to do, you are going to go to hell. I don't do that. Anyone heard me say that? I've never said that. What I do is I I try and explain things to people. I try and say things like, huh, that's really interesting. You know, one of the things that I've experienced in my life, I try and build relationships, right? I take my very crude understanding of what I think is right, I filter it through language, hopefully adapting it to a way that people can understand. Has anyone ever done that? Come on. People have done that. We do that constantly. You know what? Transfiguration Sunday is about God doing that. See, God has a desire and a wish for people. God has a desire and a wish for people to lead good, fulfilling lives. But when you stare at the raw truth of what it is God would have a person do, it can be blinding. So God had an all-encompassing, really. I mean, really think about it. Like, If you had to think about every decision you made, doing everything right for the right reasons, understanding the entire eternity of every decision you've ever made, That would be really hard to make that choice, wouldn't it? That's hard. So what God did, boom, I'm going to come down as the person of Jesus Christ, give you a story that you can read, you can understand, you can live, you can deal with it to the degree that you are able to comprehend. The veil in the story of Moses is basically the same reason why God came as a person to the earth. The way we interact, what we do, matters. So in our lives, here's my question for you. In our lives, what are we doing to show the love that God wants us to live? You see, we have this really talented thing that we learn how to do. I don't know how many people look at the kids that run around on Sunday. Kids, when they're happy, you see it in their face. They can't stop it. Kids, when they're happy, they, even if you tell them to sit still, they just sit there and they jiggle. Right? They don't have a veil. They don't have a mask that they can wear. If kids are sad, their whole body slumps. If kids are sad, they cry. They can't stop it. You can't Have a kid not wear their emotions on their face. But 
as they grow up, they learn more and more. We teach each other, keep what's inside of you hidden. We do a good job by the time somebody graduates high school of teaching each other how to lie about what's inside our hearts and our minds. And then we can control what it is we say and what it is we do in order to try and get the things that we want to get. That is an unhealthy use of a veil. You see, as we grow up, we get this tool. We get this tool where we can accommodate our ideas so we can cooperate and work. And we get the same tool that we can use to try and manipulate and lie. How do you tell the difference? I like to think that there's something we never lose, the shining face. Throughout history, people get energized by faces that are really excited about something. They get energized by looking at what people do. People get excited about a feeling they get when they work with and look at the people around them. Am I wrong? I think that's pretty true. There's a feeling that you get from a person who really wants to be loving and helpful. They wear it on their face and they do actions that embody what it means to be loving and helpful. There are people who talk about it and don't do any of those things. We know those people. We see them. The person that stands up and every time they have the camera points on them, they glad hand and give out lollipops. But the second the camera is removed, they're not doing anything. In biblical literature, the symbolism about the face, the symbolism about the face is that the face is a window to your soul. This is used throughout scripture. We all, I think everybody's familiar with the 666 written on the forehead, right? We see that in horror movies all the time. So in, at one point in scripture, the sign of the beast written upon the forehead, it's mentioned in the book of Revelation, and they say that number is six times six times six. It's not actually 666. It'd be the multiplication of six times six times six. But throughout scripture, several different places, it talks about the name of God being written upon the forehead. It talks about what is bad being written upon the forehead. It taught, at one point, prayers being attached to the forehead. Our face, symbolically, is about who we really are, the idea of the eyes being the window to the soul where you look into a person and you see who they are, you know who they are. Looking someone in the face is about getting their true sense. In scripture, when we hear things about being written on the face, it's about the things that are written on our actions and on our thoughts. It's about a place that you can't be hypocritical and you cannot hide. So when something covers the face, it inhibits what that is. For Moses, it was inhibiting the fact that he had seen God. Most mystics, 
Swedenborg is a mystic. Buddha would tell you the same thing. Most of them tell you that the spiritual experience that they touch when they are in communication with the divine is something they cannot put into words. Most mystics believe that when you touch the unknowable, that it's hard to tell people about it. I am much more worried of the person who will tell me directly what God wants me to do than the person who's like, it's kind of like this. God wants you to be on the lazy river. And people are like, what are you talking about? The person who struggles to tell someone what God wants them to do, for me, is much more believable than the person who can give me a delineated list of the steps of what God has told me to do. Because something tells me the more a person can delineate what God wants us to do, the more that their desires are embedded in that list. Does that make sense? Being a person of faith is hard. It is hard because we have to communicate with one another. We wear veils, we wear masks. We have to communicate what is in our heart, even though it's difficult. I want to go back to those people. Those people who were scared of Moses' face. One of the things that struck me is, as I am sitting up here talking to you all, I, I have the desire to inspire, transform, and just make you all super-duper happy people, right? I have that desire. But I have my veils. And you all are receiving the things that I say. And I, When I ask myself the question of what does it mean to be scared of the light that's coming forward, I, it's kind of like me. What, what is it like to be in your shoes? What if... When we engaged in conversation with the people around us, we cared more about what the other person was hearing than what we were saying. Does that make sense? You see, God cares about what you're hearing. That's the point for the veil. That's the point of the Lord coming down and living a life that we can relate to and identify with. God cares more about what you are hearing than what God is saying. What is it like for us to take the time to rather than saying, I know that I am right and I want you to do what I am saying, what would it be like for us if we said, I want to know what you are hearing and experiencing when you come into contact with me, when you come in contact with this church, when you, when you come in contact, well, heck, with, with pretty much anything. God mutes the intensity of the divine so that you can get it. How do you mute yourself so that the people around you can understand you? It's an interesting question. Today we're about to take communion. Communion is a time when, in theory, if, if we pay attention and listen to the order of the service, we, 
we present ourselves before God asking, asking ourselves to, to grow in receptiveness to God? What if today we, we take this and ask ourselves, what does it mean for me to grow in receptiveness to each other? What does it mean for us to realize that inside each one of us there is a shining face that might scare the person that's next to us? What does it mean for us to say, maybe I should wear a veil and care about how that person is receiving me? Because maybe they're scared of you. Maybe they're confused. Maybe they just don't know what you're saying. What does it take to have that veil to understand that our shining face doesn't come across the way we might think? What does it mean for us to embrace the humility that God is willing to show us by going from something immortal and invincible to something that we can understand and follow. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Boston Society of the New Jerusalem's Church on the Hill podcast. If you liked what you hear, consider joining us at 140 Bowden Street, Boston, for more. Or visit us on the web at churchonthehillboston.org.